one Sunday as a family drove home from church, a little girl turned to her mother and said, Mommy, there's something about the pastor's message this morning that I don't understand. The mother said, oh, what is it? The little girl replied, well, he said that God is bigger than we are. He said God is so big that he could hold the whole world in his hand. Is that true? The mother answered, yes, that's true, honey. But mommy, he also said that God comes to live inside of us when we believe in Jesus. Is that true too? Again, the mother assured the little girl that what the pastor said was true. With a puzzled look on her face, the little girl then asked, If God is bigger than us, and He lives in us, wouldn't He show through? She hit the nail on the head, didn't she? Yes, she did. Isn't that the goal? In our lives, in our attitudes, in our actions, God showing through us? That's what Jesus wanted to see as He encouraged people to know God. To live God's way. In God's kingdom. It's God's desire to live His life in us. To change us. So that He shows Himself through us. This morning, as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to start working our way, and it's a long way, through the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord's first recorded sermon, which goes from Matthew chapter 5, all the way through Matthew chapter 7. A very radical, mind-blowing, draw, jaw-dropping message where Jesus will answer the questions that are surely on the minds of people. And let me explain. If you recall, both John the Baptist 
And Jesus proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you might imagine, there would be questions. Such as, where is this kingdom? How does one get in? Am I good enough? And to the the legalistic types, what do I got to do? So Jesus has a message for these people. And it begins with what we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Or said another way, the attitudes that ought to be. Okay? The attitudes that ought to be referring to one's character. Now before we get into the Beatitudes, I need to set this up. Back in Exodus, I'm taking you way back. Back in Exodus, Moses went up on a mountain. Probably a few mountains, but he went up on this mountain, Mount Sinai, right? Mount Sinai, and he came down with the law for the Israelites who were God's covenant people. This law was given to a people who had been in bondage under the thumb of the Egyptians, and now they were a free people and they needed to function as a nation with standards, with standards, with God's standards. Standards that were a reflection of God's divine nature and character declaring from His point of view, okay, that's important, from His point of view, in simple terms, what is right and what is wrong. These were God's moral standards. His moral law. And it's important to point out that what occurred on Mount Sinai was not the invention of God's moral standards. For they were already given to the people through their conscience. People instinctively knew what was right and what was wrong. It was implanted in their hearts and minds. So on Mount Sinai, we don't have the invention of God's moral standards, but rather we have the formal declaration of them. 
Okay? Unfortunately, over time, these moral standards, God's law, was misinterpreted and misapplied by His people who focused solely on the letter of the law and completely disregarded the spirit behind it. They turned it into an external thing. Just going through the motions, giving no thought to the change of character and the change of conduct that was to flow from it. They were very religious, doing all kinds of religious stuff, but their hearts were far from God. But in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus begins to put the heart back into God's moral standards. He puts the heart back into God's moral standards so that, in turn, people would truly change. First in character, first in character, and then in conduct. And in turn, experience the blessings of God. Now, speaking of blessings, as we get into these Beatitudes, we will see the word blessed mentioned over and over again. In the Greek, the word is makarios. Makarios. And it's a difficult word to translate. Some, and your Bible translations may say this, some translate it as happy. As happy. But that doesn't quite capture it because happiness is generally connected to What's happening? Do you see the association? Our happiness tends to be associated with what's happening. This word seems different. It goes below the surface. And it describes... An inner satisfaction. An inner satisfaction, or better yet, an inner contentment. Okay? An inner contentment no matter the outer circumstances. An inner contentment no matter the outer circumstances. It goes deeper. And the source of this contentment, 
the root of this contentment is the realization of God's approval. That's the source. God's approval. God's favor. Therefore, blessed, content is the one who is the recipient of God's gracious approval. Okay? You with me? Okay. I will remind you of this several times this morning. So with all that said, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we will begin with verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus goes up on a mountain, or a hill, or a hill. It's the same Greek word, and there's a picture of the traditional site where that building is. That's a picture of the traditional site where Jesus sat as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Traditional site. He sits down. Which in those days was the customary position a teacher took when speaking to pupils. He sat down. From an elevated place from which to speak from, Jesus sits down. And thousands of people with all kinds of different backgrounds and beliefs, different experiences, different struggles, young and old, rich and poor, free and slave, religious and rebellious, hike up the hill to learn about this kingdom that Jesus was talking about. How to enter in and how to live in it. So starting with verse 2, the Sermon on the Mount begins and we are told... He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I could be wrong. I am wrong on occasion. I could be wrong. But I think... This is the first time that God has directly spoken to the masses since Mount Sinai. 
If you recall, again, back in Exodus, all the people prepared themselves to hear directly from God. And after three days, God descended from heaven onto Mount Sinai in an awesome display of power and majesty. The mountain violently quaked. There were flashes of lightning and booming thunder, fire and smoke, and there was the sound of a very loud and long trumpet blast. Assembled with Moses before the mountain, below the mountain, all the people trembled in fear as they heard the voice of God proclaiming His moral standards, His commandments. Yes, before the commandments were written in stone, they were first given to all the people by the voice of God. This had a huge impact on the people. In fact, it terrified them so much that the people went to Moses and said, we cannot handle that again. No more of that. And they asked that God not speak with them directly. Instead, Moses was to be their messenger. And from that point on, God would speak to His people through His prophets. But here, but here, unbeknownst to anyone, God is once again speaking directly to the masses. Jesus is in their midst. And He sits down before them on the hill and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is foundational when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's the starting place because to enter into His kingdom requires that you first realize you are outside the kingdom. To enter into His kingdom, you must first realize you are outside the kingdom and cannot get in on your own. Jesus begins here by explaining that to be blessed by God, one must first recognize they are flat broke 
when it comes to establishing their own righteousness. Flat broke. Spiritually speaking, the poor in spirit got nothing. They got nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing to bring to the table except for filthy rags. That's all you bring to the table is filthy rags. They realize they got nothing to offer to God. They cannot contribute anything. They will never be good enough, never deserve it, and never earn it. Never earn their way into heaven, into the kingdom. Blessed by God, content is the one who recognizes they are spiritually destitute. Spiritually destitute and therefore totally dependent upon the grace of God. For the person who is blessed in this way, there's no room for pride and self-righteousness. For in truth, they realize they are helpless and hopeless in their sin. They cannot trust themselves. They cannot save themselves. And for those who come to that brutal realization, Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sadly, many will not know this blessing of which Jesus speaks of. Because sadly, many will not acknowledge how spiritually destitute they really are. And as a consequence, they will never see Jesus for who He truly is, their Savior. And the kingdom of heaven will not be theirs. Jesus continues. And in verse 4 he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This seems like a paradox, doesn't it? On its own, it seems somewhat confusing. It's like saying, happy are those who are sad. But when connected to the first beatitude, and it should be connected, in fact, they are all connected, they are actually progressive in nature, then it makes 
sense. So let me tie these together while I explain it, okay? Blessed, content is the one or are, are, are those who, who recognize they are spiritually destitute apart from God. We just said that, right? Content are those who recognize they are spiritually destitute apart from God who see their sin the way God sees their sin. Here we go. Who grieves over the weight of it? Who grieves over the weight of it? Blessed are those who are truly sorrowful over the condition of their heart. Who have come to that place of dependence and here, repentance. For it's then that God's forgiveness brings comfort. There's a great picture of this in the Gospel of John. And you already know the story. One day, while Jesus was teaching people in the temple courts, some of the self-righteous religious leaders brought in a woman before him and they said to Jesus, you know the story, this woman was caught, caught in the act of adultery. Moses commanded us to do what? Stone her. Now Jesus, what do you got to say? Of course, this was intended as a trap for Jesus. To accuse him of breaking the law. But instead of stepping into their trap, Jesus stooped down and began writing something in the sand. We're not told what that was. Don't know. And then he said, after writing in the sand, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Stooping down again, Jesus returned to writing on the ground. And one by one, they all walked away until Jesus and the woman were left all alone. Then Jesus asked the woman, Where are your accusers? 
didn't any of them condemn you? No one, Lord, the woman answered. This woman had been caught. Caught. I picture her cringing in shame. Cowering on the ground before Jesus. And if you think about it, Jesus is the only one who could have legitimately thrown a stone at her. He is the only one. But instead, he gave her comfort and said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. In her guilt, in the shame of her sin against God, in repentance, she found forgiveness. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now Jesus is just getting warmed up. And this is what he says next in verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. I was raised in West Texas. West Texas. A God-forsaken place, but that's another story. Okay? And I went to my fair share of rodeos. Watching these amazingly fast and agile and powerful horses obviously well-trained, meeting the rigorous demands of their writers. The Greeks had a word for the behavior of these very powerful, yet well-trained horses. And the word is praus. Press. Strength under control. Strength under control. And this word was translated in English as meek. Meek. The Old English used the term... I've never heard this before. Meeking a horse. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. Meeking a horse. 
We might say breaking a horse. Meeking a horse, which meant to harness the power of a horse from a state of wild independence to one of loyalty. So the horse could be used as the master intended. So when Jesus said, blessed are the gentle, or depending on your translation, blessed are the meek, which I like better, blessed are the meek, it's the same Greek word, praus, Jesus is describing a person who is humbly submitted to God. And in context, following the progressive flow of these Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking about those people who recognize they are spiritually destitute apart from God, who grieve over the weight of their sin leading to repentance and following the flow, they have begun the process of giving up their independence, giving up their agendas and ambitions, giving up their goals and plans, giving up their control and humbly yielding to the will of their Master. And to these people, Jesus said, they shall inherit the earth. Meaning, they will have a place in the coming promised kingdom. Now Jesus is far from over. And in verse 6, he says to the people, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When thinking of hunger and thirst, my mind naturally goes to food and water. Now in our modern world, when we are hungry, we just open the refrigerator or a cupboard. And when we are thirsty, we simply turn on a faucet. But here, speaking to those on the hill, When Jesus speaks of hunger and thirst, He's painting a picture of desperation. Desperation. Of being parched and starving. Something those who were listening would be familiar with. And I want you to consider the order here. First, 
you recognize you are spiritually destitute apart from God. We've talked about that, right? You grieve over your sin against God, and then you find yourself humbly yielding to the will of God. Do you see the progression? Now that you are empty, now that you are empty, you find yourself hungering and thirsting for the things of God. Warren Worsby, I like this guy, Warren Worsby, says, I am personally convinced the reason many people are not filled is because they have not been emptied. They are still full of themselves. Pride must go before you find yourself hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He continues and says, because I like him a lot, as I said, my wife, that's his wife, not mine, my wife fixes, well she does too, fixes me excellent meals. But if I stop off and score a couple of burgers before I head home, as I have been known to do on occasion, even though there's a wonderful meal spread on the table, I don't have an appetite for it because I'm full of burgers and shakes. Some people have lost their appetite for the Word of God. They no longer desire to worship. They no longer crave rightness. They are no longer meek or mourning or poor in spirit because they are full of the burgers and shakes of self-importance. When you empty yourself of self, happy are you because you're going to hunger more for righteousness. You know, we live in a world where people are hungering and thirsting for all the wrong things. Correct? Hungering and thirsting for all the wrong things. And for the Christian, for the Christian, this prompts some serious soul searching questions for the Christian. What is it that you desire more than anything else? I can't answer that for you. What is it that you desire more than anything else? What is it 
you must have. It drives your life. It consumes your thoughts. Is it money? Possessions? Pleasure? Comfort? Fame? Power? And authority? Again, I can't answer that for you. Christians are hungering for many things. We know this. But blessed are those in the kingdom who want to be what they see in their king. That's what it boils down to. Blessed are those in the kingdom who want to be what they see in their King. Who want to be like Jesus and nothing else will satisfy them. Okay. I want to show you a picture. Can you all see that well? Can you all... Hey, Alan... Can you hit the light switch? There we go. It's so cute. It's, it's the picture of a South American fish called Four Eyes. Because it knows how to make the best out of two worlds. This fish has, as you can see, large bulging eyes with an air lens, an air lens on the upper half and a water lens on the lower half. And as it cruises along the surface of the water, it is able to look at the world above and the world below. Lights, Alan. Thank you. In a sense, we must be like this little fish. As we go through life, we need to look upward to heaven and also look around us. Looking up enables us to focus on the righteousness of God. And looking around helps us to see the needs of others. I bring this up because in the next verse, Jesus shifts a bit to our relationship 
with those around us. In verse 7 he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Those in the kingdom who are emptied of themselves understand that they are objects of the king's mercy. And as such, it's only fitting that their hearts reflect the heart of their merciful What they have received in abundance, they need to give to those around them. And it's the kind of mercy that goes beyond feeling sorry for someone. It actually does something about it. A high school basketball player's mom passed away on the day before a game. He made it to the game. His coach invited him to sit on the bench. But he wanted to play. He felt like he needed to play. Since he arrived late, Putting him in the game was a technical foul. And the other team would shoot two free throws. Knowing the situation, the other team refused to shoot. But the officials persisted. The coach asked for a volunteer to shoot the shots. And the captain raised his hand. His first shot went about two feet. And the second shot was shorter than that. The other team showed mercy to this player by sharing his suffering with an act of kindness. The merciful are those whose hearts are moved for those in need. Having a desire to step in and to assist in relieving the pain and the suffering of others. This kind of mercy goes beyond feeling. Yes, it may start that way. Absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. It does something to help. Those who give mercy to others are like the king. Who gives mercy to them? And need I remind you, we can never outgive 
the king. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. Definitely some soul-searching words. Father, I just pray you just allow them to bounce around in our hearts and our minds. These are words about character. Words about character. To be who you want us to be. Father, I pray that you would continue to change us. That you give us a zeal and a passion to be like Jesus. Ultimately, so that God will show through. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have more Beatitudes to go through. We will tackle another part next Sunday. But let me say something about these so far. This is all good news. This is all good, good news. Think about, just for a second, who Jesus was talking to. Put yourself on the heel. Think about who he was talking to. In those days, you had the religious leaders, the Pharisees, you've heard the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, the, the scribes, right? They were supposed to be God's guys. Obviously, they were God's guys because they were wealthy. They had power. They had prestige. They had possessions. In the mind of a Jew back then, if you had health and wealth and prosperity, then obviously you were God's guy. And here you have these people like us who, who hike up this hill and they're thinking, I can never be like these guys over here. I can never be like a Pharisee or a Sadducee or one of the, I can, I, What chance do I have? I got nothing. I got nothing to give. I'm destitute. I'm flat broke spiritually. And what's the Lord say? Perfect. Perfect. That's what he says. You're right where you're supposed to be. You're in the right place. That was good news. And also reminds you, in this 
this Jewish, very legalistic society, very legalistic, it was all about the doing. These are not the do attitudes. Right? These are not the do attitudes. They're the be attitudes. This is about character. Yes, conduct will flow from that. But let's focus on the be before we focus on the do. That's why Jesus starts at the be. Make sense? This is about character. This is good news for these people. Jesus is saying things they had, trust me, they have never heard before. Mind-blowing. Completely radical. And it gets worse. This was good news. Maybe you're here this morning. And this was good news for you. You got nothing. You bring nothing to the table when it comes to righteousness. That hit you like a ton of bricks. And the Lord's response would be what? Good. I'm glad it hit you like a ton of bricks. That's a start. That's a start. Maybe that's you this morning. I would love to chat with you and take you just a little further and introduce you to the king. I would love that. Maybe you're here, you're looking for a church home. Or just like you are. Or maybe you need prayer. You just need some prayer. You just need to talk to the king. I would love to help you with that too. However the Lord moves you this morning, just respond to him in obedience. He's the king. Larry?